So Natalie, the other day we were talking about producers and it inspired me so much. I was looking at some more producers, lady producers, and I really just dug in. It was it was a really inspiring chat. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's made me be more cognizant of, you know, what's happening behind the scenes and like some of these women who are doing cool shit and uh deserve some props for it. So, I have I have a few more names that I've been reading up on lately. Oh yeah? Yeah. You want to talk about it? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it cuz I also have someone else that I that I really enjoy and I'm just curious if you are familiar with some of her music as well. Oh cool. Well, I'm intrigued. Okay, so tell me this, is your person more recent or more blast from the past? Yeah, mine is more recent. Oh, really? Like last last yeah. 10 years-ish? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. so let's do it in chronological order then, because I've, I've got a little blast from the past over oh, here. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah, so okay, that sounds perfect. I am going to start off talking about the great Sylvia Moy. Another Sylvia. <laughs> after my, my chat about Sylvia Massey from last time. But I want to talk about Sylvia Moy today, who's very, very important um, and special in the history of music. She was the first woman to write and produce for Motown Records, which is pretty huge. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So a little background on Sylvia Moy. She was born and raised on the northeast side of Detroit, uh, born in 1938, she had eight siblings, very big family. Growing up, they were very musical. She would, you know, pretend play piano on the radiator, hopefully while it wasn't too <laughs> heated up. Too and, hot. <laughs> exactly. And she used to make, like, musical instruments out of food boxes or, you know, her and her siblings, they play on pots and pans together. So very musical, very creative. She studied and performed jazz and classical music at school and she had a couple of teachers who really encouraged her early on, you know, told her that she had a real gift. So she decided to record a couple of her own songs and went off to New York to shop her demo around town, which is very bold and brave of her to do. That didn't really go that well. She didn't get a great reception from that. Um, she even had a major New York record executive tell her that while she wasn't a bad singer, she would never, ever be a songwriter. Aww. I know, right? That's a bummer. But it's funny how life works. I feel like statements like those are just like the thing that people need to be just driven yeah. over the edge. Like, oh, really? Okay. I am never going to forget that. Watch me go do the, exactly this thing. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Watch me. Yeah. So fun side note yeah. about this this big time highfalutin rec record exec. Um, he died. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um the same executive would later offer to buy out her songwriting contract from Barry Gordy, which I think is pretty rich. So, karma. Well, yeah. I hope he knew when he, he was buying that out who, who wrote it. <laughs> I don't think she crossed over, though, but I, I think it's... That's some gall, too. Like, no, sir, you turned me down. You didn't see a good thing when it was right in front of you. I am going yeah. to decline your offer now. Right. Buzz off. Right. 
Somebody else can have it. But anyway, she kept grinding. She had steady gigs around Detroit. And in 1963, Marvin Gaye and writer Mickey Stevenson saw her performing at this place called the Caucus Club. And so that was like the big connection that landed her an audition at Hitsville, you know, which is what they called Motown's HQ and main recording studio. And the people there were they were impressed. She got a recording management and songwriting contract But her songwriting skills were prioritized. I think Motown at the time had so many artists on the roster and they were in desperate need of material. So, and that just, I mean, that worked just fine for Sylvia because she described herself as being kind of shy anyway. So she started writing some Motown hits. So some of those big hits that she either wrote, co-wrote, and or produced include a number of Stevie Wonder's hits, including My Sharia Moore, and I was made to love her. Fun fact, did you know that Stevie's original title for My Sharia Moore was Oh My Marsha for his girlfriend at the time? Oh, then, no, I didn't know that. But then Moy decided to like Frenchify it. And I guess by the time the song was a thing, Marsha was out of the picture anyway. So why keep her oh, in the well, title? That- Right, that worked out for him. Huh? <laughs> right. But can you imagine that song being called Oh My Marsha? So she wrote those songs. She wrote This Old Heart of Mine from the Isley Brothers, who I, oh, I love that just song. love. Love Bug, Leave My Heart Alone from Martha and the Vandellas. And another favorite of mine, It Takes Two, a great duet from Marvin Gaye and Kim Weston. It takes two, baby. It takes two, baby. Me and you. Nice. So she co-wrote those ones, those songs. She co-wrote those songs, yes. Yeah. Wow, she's really... What's kind of frustrating, though, to know is that she was often omitted from the official writing credits for many of these songs, you know? Um, Of course. And then I think later on has been added to those credits. Yeah. It's just a sign of the times. But it seems like such a weird choice. Like, if you were actually actively writing the song, why would you not just write the woman's name down? (laughs) Right. You know, what's the point of that? I don't know. Anyway. It's like having a woman's hand in these songs made them any like somehow made them less great or something. Yeah. Why, why bother leaving someone out? And it's because likely she's a woman. Right. Like you had to actively omit her from the yeah. record. That's, that's strange to me. Yeah. But Hey, people know, people know, and she's being uh, returned to the record in all of her writing glory So probably the thing she's most lauded for is the fact that, according to Barry Gordy, she was responsible for Motown keeping Stevie Wonder on its roster. So the label actually wanted to drop him. Yeah, the label wanted to drop him after he hit puberty, bless him, and his voice began to change. (laughs) (laughs) And they were going to just let him go. Like, come on. So this was following his major breakthrough hit, Fingertips, in 1963. Yeah! 
He hits puberty. The guy's voice breaks. They freak out. Moy steps in and says, hey, if I can write a hit for Stevie, would you reconsider dropping him? And Gordy was like, yeah, sure, go for it. At which point she and collaborator Hank Cosby pinned the song Uptight, Everything's All Right. My God, can you imagine if they dropped him and we never got songs in the key of life? I know, right? That That's insane. See how much we owe to this woman? We Thank owe you, so much Moy. to this yes. woman. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. But also, wait, how? Okay. I was going to ask, how did she have so much sway with Stevie? But it was her saying, if I write this hit song. But how, I mean, I guess did I guess because Stevie had worked with her already, he knew that she was a great songwriter. Yeah, well, she'd already been working like a lot at Motown and writing hits for a lot of their artists. You know, Stevie was still young, um, coming off of his first big, big hit, I think. So he just he needed she just advocated for him, I think, in a way that he might have been yeah. unable to do. So, you know, good for her. And yeah, this this is a fun fact, too. So because she couldn't transcribe her lyrics into Braille for Stevie, she in real time guided him while he was recording the song by singing a line ahead into his headphones. Like as he went along. Wow, well, That seems like it would hurt my brain. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. Because you're singing and listening. But of course, you know, heightened senses. You probably could handle it. But in my mind, I'm thinking how my brain would not be able to compute. You know what I think also may have come into play? I think it would have been interesting to like sit in on this recording session, but I bet you it was also the, the black church culture of that sort of call and response thing is oh, something yeah. that, that we do frequently. And that, that kind of like, I'm going to sing a line and now you sing a line. So like she she rhythmically found a way to like feed him the next line, you know what I mean? Right. And surely by the time they're recording some of this, like he had played it a million times. So it's not like this is the master recording where she's like telling him what to say, sing. Maybe I imagine something far more dramatic, like in a, a movie, where, like <laughs> you have forty eight hours to crank out a hit. You got to make it happen. There's no time to practice, Tara. We got to do it now. I think they just jumped in the studio and did it. First time yeah. magic. That's that's what I choose to believe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that was a huge hit, a big win for Sylvia Moy, and also for Stevie Wonder. And you know I'm always intrigued by people who excel at co-writing songs like this. Like personally, collaborations mm -hmm. are usually for me usually producers giving me an instrumental and then I come up with the lyrics and the melody and all that or vice versa or something like that where we're yeah. like trading steps you know what I mean yeah I mean surely at some point I've done this but I can't I can't really easily recall like sitting in a room with another person and cranking out some lyrics together is that something that you that you've done yeah I have done that before when I was in college I was in a band called Trapper Keeper Cute. And we, our songs are kind of raunchy, but cheesy and fun. Think peaches. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'd write, we'd think of an idea for a song. Oh, let's write a song about 
losing your virginity on the Gravitron, which seems probably impossible. <laughs> but then just kind of like rhyming, okay, well, here's a line and then what would rhyme with this word and just riffing off of each other and stuff, like coming up with the most ridiculous lyrics, uh, which is really fun. But I haven't done it in a while. Sorry, like I'm, hard, I'm still stuck on losing one's virginity on a gravitron. <laughs> yeah, we are quite the band. <laughs> Is there audio evidence of Trapper Keeper? <laughs> Somewhere, maybe. Please share. I don't know where it is. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall for that. Some of these epic songwriting sessions with Sylvia Moy. But I also think when you get into three or more writers, I don't know, I just... It, I don't know how collaborative it can really be at that point. Mm -hmm. I bet it's, it seems like it's a situation where lots of people write a bunch of different stuff separately and then sections get sort of cherry picked and Frankenstein together to make oh, a song. Yeah, for sure. Especially yeah. when you start, like after you get it on paper and then you start singing the words like, oh, this actually probably would work better if it was like this word or like we omit this and or something. Yeah. Sylvia Moy, she also released a couple of singles. She had one in 1973 called And This Is Love, which I think that's a remake. And I This think. Is Love. So yeah, I think this song has been covered a few times. I think it's originally done by Sisters Love, which if you've never heard that version before from 1970, it's spectacular. The vocal performance on that is, is crazy, crazy good. I think uh, Gladys Knight does it. And a few others. But anyway, beautiful song. And she released a song in 1989 called Major Investment. So in 2006, she was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and Stevie Wonder surprised her with the performance of one of her songs that she wrote for him at the ceremony, which I think is really sweet. That is really sweet. Aw. So I'm going to broach this next topic as respectfully as possible. <laughs> so I'm looking around <laughs> online about Sylvia Moy and some of her other credits, and I've seen in like multiple places, it says she's also made music for TV shows and film. Cool. But then they, the, the sources specifically call out writing the theme songs for shows, including Blossom, The Wonder Years, and growing pains. And I, I don't know if that's the case. Cause <laughs> like, I, I was like, do they mean like incidental music? But they can't mean the theme songs. And I, I couldn't find any, any confirmation or any clear explanation I mean, for that. Like we know the wonder years, that's what Joe Cocker singing right, a Beatles that's song. Joe Cocker. Right. Um, and then the growing pains is that show me it smile, show me that smile. Great song, one of one Part of the of greats. It. But that's, I think Bettis. <laughs> Let's see, growing pains theme song, not written by Alan Thicke, surprisingly, even though he also wrote and performed some TV theme songs. Yeah. B.J. Thomas. As long as we got each other. Whoa. Opening theme performed by B.J. Thomas and Jennifer Warrens and Dusty Springfield. Yeah, there's lots of websites that go into detail about the origins of these theme songs. And I just I couldn't connect the dots in any way, shape or form. It was freaking me out. 
So we're just gonna we're just gonna flag that one. Keep going. Also, film. She contributed music for films like Dead Presidents, Mr. Holland's Opus, and It Takes Two. Okay. Wow, Mr. Holland's Opus. I remember that movie. Yeah. She also launched her own record company in the 70s after Motown relocated to Los Angeles. Wow. Uh-huh. She earned six Grammy nominations, 15 gold and platinum singles, and over 20 BMI awards. So very celebrated in the industry. Um, she sadly passed away recently in 2017 at the age of 78. Stevie Wonder made a really beautiful statement about her in Rolling Stone in a tribute saying, how do you stop loving the ones you loved for a lifetime? You don't. Sylvia Moy made it possible to enrich my world of songs with some of the greatest lyrics. But not only that, she, through her participation in our co-writing those songs, helped me become a far better writer of lyrics. Again, like no greater compliment <laughs> could be bestowed upon any songwriter than to have freaking Stevie Wonder say something that lovely about your talent. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. And that is a really nice thing to yeah. say. And she was awesome. a huge advocate for, for musical education, philanthropy, uh, notably the creation of the Center for Creative Communications, uh, which works with underprivileged children in Detroit. So some pretty groundbreaking stuff here, like to be a woman in the 60s, since the 60s, right? Walk in the walk mm -hmm. as a bona fide writer and producer, um, despite obstacles, people telling her she would make it, downplaying her gifts. She uh, persevered, made it happen. Yeah, that is really amazing. And again, you know, the last time we were talking about producers, we were talking about how uh, one of them in particular, yours, uh, Sylvia Malloy. Massey. Moy. I just mush them together. <laughs> Sylvia Massey, but this just kind of proves my point even more, is that like how are they not household names? Um, and and in Sylvia Moy's case, she's done so much, accomplished so much, is kind of a big deal, especially when we're thinking of one of the greatest record labels of all time, Motown, and one of the greatest performers and musicians uh, of all time, Stevie Wonder. Her Wikipedia page doesn't list all the songs that she's made. It doesn't list all the accolades. And why? You know, like why? It's like no one knows her enough to put that in there or wants to even take the time. So it's like we're even failing her now in, in the modern age on the Internet, you know. Uh, but she hasn't failed us. She's That's accomplished sure. so much. Thank you, Sylvia Moy. We, we appreciate you, we see you, and we're still playing your tunes. They're still modern-day bops. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and I'm going to take it all the way across the pond, talking about a younger artist, but a younger producer, but she loves to put history into her song. So hmm. when I say history, I mean doing the research, understanding, you know, the old music and, and when she plays out, she plays, she, she puts in some older music. 
um, into her sets and older kind of elements into her music as well. So I am talking about Anne's A-N-Z, DJ, producer, artist from London. Well, born in London, based in Manchester. She's extremely versatile when it comes to making club music in the UK by blending musical elements from from many genres, but also many different decades. Um, so yeah, let's get into her a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I said, born in London, she's the daughter of um, Nigerian immigrants. And at home they were playing boogie and funk. Um, they were, you know, also playing Afrobeat and, Ghana music and she was really drawn to the four-part harmony bands and lush bass lines of like Earth, Wind and Fire, for example, or Dynasty. And uh, again, her, her parents carried over those sounds of their Nigerian youth into the UK and brought uh, that, that sound to her and her new surroundings as well, being in the UK. Um, and growing up, she would get into performances by groups like the prodigy she she i think learned um an instrument i can't remember which one it is already i'm failing myself here but she was always into music even when she was younger but she at one point asked her parents for this drum pad thing for her birthday she said whatever i'll try it she made a song and saved it and she thought it was just this like you know not great song, her first foray into trying to make a song. But even her first, the first fruit of that effort, like trying to make her first song, caught the attention of um, a DJ producer, Merlo. And he backed her, you know, and, and then she, um, she started doing more and got even more backing from industry heavyweights um, and even the record label Butters. So, she ends up making her first EP and it's called, it's a self, her self-titled EP in 2017 and it was very playful and energetic. So let's listen to a song called Clanger from that first EP. It's very heavy on the bass. Uh, it's very club driven, bassy, bassy fun track. You can tell she already has the chops pretty much immediately. And then she puts out her second release in 2019, and it's called Invitation to Dance. And she says, it's dedicated to the boys who used to muscle me off the decks at house parties alongside a list of friends, family, and fellow Northern nightlife legends. So it's a very fun album. Let's listen to the title track from that one, Invitation to Dance. Yeah, so you can hear it's kind of craft worky. It is. Huh. It is. I also hear some freestyle elements. And so I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, it goes back to me again saying I think that she likes to use these elements of music that she's loved growing up from the club and dance scene throughout. And um, I think she does a really good job of blending those elements. It feels like 
break into electric boogaloo. Yeah. I, I, can, I can, it's got some uh, ozone turbo energy. I dig it. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So um, she's really done a lot. Uh, she has even, she's contributed um, to compilations for Disc Woman, which is a, a collective of DJs and uh, remixes for Houndstooth and uh, extra large recordings, XL recordings. Then she's also had a lot of international and high profile gigs. Lady Gaga booked her for Marsha P. Johnston Institute fundraiser. And then in 2020, she released a Super Club Ready EP called Loose in Twos in RG on Hessel Audio. And the title track is kind of a like a slower rhythm that morphs into a spacey breakbeat and there's some like ravey siren calls. This whole EP is actually probably my favorite of her releases. So let's listen to a track from Loose in the Twos. Let's listen to actually Gary Mission. Cute. I like it. Yeah. Can I just say, Losing Twos has to be my favorite club reference concept title for an EP. It's like such a cute, cute name. What's, am I missing this reference? Lose, like how they, how the English say bathroom. So you go, you go to the bathroom in pairs with your girlfriend. Oh, I was not reading that that way. I don't know why. I was thinking of loose, but yeah. lose. Losing Twos. That's funny. But yeah, that one is like very ravey, clubby, bass, wobbly bass. It's great. That, like I said, this one's my favorite of her releases. And then we get to um, her most recent releases. One is called All Hours and one is called, um, it's, it's called OTMI001. Um, it's got two tracks on it. Zero TMI zero zero one. Um, this came out in 2021, but it's got two tracks on it: "Unravel in the Designated Zone" and "Morphing into Brighter." These are a little less like ravey, but still club. And yeah, super good. Let's listen to "Morphing into Brighter" from this one. Actually, that one is really bass heavy. I don't know why I was saying all that other shit. But yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and then most, most recently, like I said, All Hours. This one for me has more of a like basement jacks, less bassy than the other, but still really fun. Um, and let's listen to You Could Be, which features George Riley. Yeah. Rockin'. So this one has a little bit more like garage elements, yeah. right? Like UK garage, garage. Um, and yeah, it's a little bit sweeter than the ravier stuff that she does, but it shows more of how she's just really good at blending those genres and 
taking elements from like the nineties breakbeat stuff and um, dubstep, grime, garage, and you can hear all these elements in electronic music in it. It's my favorite. I feel like she she's brings in parts of those songs that I always loved from Amp, MTV Amp, that we both. Oh, yeah. So highly recommend. She's still new on the scene, newish. Like I said, first EP 2017. That most recent one is from 2021. So we, I hope to see a lot more from Anne's. She's very yeah, she exciting sounds to fun. me. I like, I like this music. Does it get more vocal or does she pepper vocals through all of her releases? She peppers vocals a little bit, but I would say this, these later ones, or especially this more recent one, All Hours is where you hear vocals more than mm. the others. But yeah. That's cool. Check it out. I also see that she, she was cranking out a lot of music during the pandemic. And I got to say, like, it makes me think about Frost Children, who we discussed recently as well. But man, I have so much respect for these musicians who managed to become like more productive during the pandemic because I, I was just like, I was a zombie during 2020. Yeah. I just, I couldn't find my mojo creatively at all. No, me either. But yeah, props to me them. Me either. Same. Um, but that's it. Yeah. I, I love these conversations that we're having about these um, female producers. And so I hope that if anyone's listening in the record store, I hope that their names stick in your mind and some of them begin to become more household names. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some talented people out there doing cool stuff. And I think it's, there's so much, it's, it's almost like a blessing and a curse how easy it is to share stuff these days because you kind of get this mm -hmm. thick gray muck of not so great stuff <laughs> and you kind of have yeah. to do a bit of digging to get to the really special magical stuff that's happening. Cause it's still happening, you know? Yeah. You just got to do a bit more I searching. Mean, after we learned about that Annenberg um, research effort and how we saw there was only like 3% of women producing songs on these billboard hot 100s, uh, charts. I would love to see like if Anne's collaborates with any popular singers that she could like produce their albums or songs for them or re even remixes, something that might pop off because especially now that we're seeing Beyonce showing up with these, the, like a house single, you know, uh, break my soul. I wonder like, how could we get some of these women like Anne's, um, in the club production scene to help put more women on these like hot 100 charts, you know? Yeah. That was going to be my next question. Had she done any high profile production for other artists or collaborations like that? Or she, I don't think so. Predominantly solo at the moment. Yeah. Predominantly. So, I mean, George Riley, like I said, or on that track, sorry, before on that track, is um, someone she worked with, but I wouldn't say George Riley is necessarily high profile. I don't, know. I don't really know the scale of George Riley. Maybe in the UK she's, yeah, because she's from West London. So, I don't know. Yeah, well, she's doing her thing. I mean, 
who knows what her long-term goal is, what her plan is. Um, as long as yeah. she keeps making the music she wants to make, I mean, she's she's definitely got something special. So she gonna be alright. Yeah, <laughs> she'll be alright. We're gonna keep listening sure. to her. We're gonna be sharing her with our record store customers. Yeah, and helping to get the name out a bit because uh, yeah, she's dope. Well, that's cool. This is another great installment of awesome lady producers giving giving the women their flowers yeah all right tara i think uh i think it's a wrap on that one it's time to close up the store get home kick off her shoes have some dinner and uh do our own lady production thing start making some more music how do you feel about that yeah definitely awesome awesome sounds like a plan <laughs> so Anybody else in the store, as always, if you have a producer or an artist you want to share with us, please let us know. We're always eager to boost new artists out there doing awesome things. Shoot us a message on Instagram, on Discord, or our email. Visit our site, recordstoresociety.com, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye! Bye! Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.